Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, April 21st. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 30 starting with the first paragraph most of us had been unwilling to admit. The share ID for Thursday, April 21st, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Meeting is 9859. And the 7 a.m. meeting today, share ID is 9862. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lindsay B. to read the 12 steps. Uh, my apologies. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Okay. Good morning. This is Lindsay, re- recovered from New Hampshire. Twelve steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him, understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. I will now ask Nancy T. to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Julie. This is Nancy T., compulsive overeater from Lewiston, Idaho. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. 
We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy T. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share <clears throat> on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirements for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the, direct, what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 30 for, with the first paragraph, paragraph most of us have been unwilling to admit. We will be reading through the second paragraph, ending with, or presently may be, has to be smashed. The comments will be on both. I will now ask Carolyn S.H. to begin reading. Hi. <clears throat> Hi, guys. Good morning. Carolyn S.H., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Eater in Massachusetts. More about alcoholism. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. We learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people, or presently may be, has to be smashed. Uh, I'm setting my timer. Again, Carolyn in Massachusetts. And... Um, so this chapter, this is a kickoff to the last chapter of step one, more about alcoholism. And step one being we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or food, that our lives had become unmanageable. And this whole chapter is going to show how powerless, like what powerless means um, with four illustrations. Um, and uh, what I've realized in just thinking about this chapter, knowing that I would talk about it today, these two paragraphs, is, um, and I have the benefit of listening to the earlier meeting as well, um, and in all my experience with these, these two paragraphs, there's great diversity, I believe, in, in our unmanageability. Like, my unmanageability looks different from yours, you know, looks different from a lot of people. Um, and uh, I think, I really think that's what the whole point of this chapter is, that there are four ways, like there are four different illustrations of it that I think the writers want us, like, to identify in. Like, if, if we can identify in with any of the above. Um, and that, that whole you know, famous sentence here, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. To me, step one is a personal thing. It's a personal admission. It's an, it's an inside job. It's like it's just absolutely giving up and recognizing, you know, I, I, I can't do this. When I, um, I, I've been in and out of the room and when I came back to the room for the last time about four years ago to the OA room, um, I went to a OA convention and I heard a speaker who knocked my socks off because she was the first person who I so identified with 
um, because I had been like in this terminal uniqueness of my un- unmanageability looks different from other people because I have always been a normal body weight. I look normal. Everyone thinks I'm normal. My family, everyone thinks, like when I say that, you know, I, I have an addiction, they think I'm crazy, you know. Um, but I know that I'm powerless. I know what I have been trying to control for the last, you know, several decades. So I heard the speaker and I um, and I ran up to her afterwards and asked her to be my sponsor. And what she had me do for step one, my time's almost up, is I wrote out very detailed what I'm powerless over. And it was so freeing because after I really conceded that and I said it, I kind of, I turned it over to her and and she totally understood it. And it was, it, it was really the beginning of my true recovery. Um, and now uh, over, I don't know, um, way over two, two years sober, um, two years abstinent, like I'm, I'm in touch with what I'm so powerless over, like the obsession of the mind, which I heard someone in the earlier meeting say, like is the greater aspect of my disease, right? That I'm still so powerless over. And every morning I have to concede that to my innermost self um, and do step two and step three and step four and all the way, you know, every day. Um, so my time is way over. Thank you. And with that, I'll, I'll pass. Thank you, Carolyn F.H. Who would like to share on paragraph, the first two paragraphs on page 30? Carolyn okay. I have Lynn S., and then I think it was a Stephanie and then John K. Yes. Lindsay B. Lindsay B. Lindsay B. Okay, hold on. Lindsay B. Um, what? Who was after Lindsay B.? Lynette P. Lynette P. Okay, and who was the gentleman? Lynn P. I got you, Lynn. Oh, Aliza B. Uh, you got John K. I got John K. I have Lynn P, Stephanie, John K, Lindsay B, Lynette P, and Eliza B. So we'll start with that. Eliza B, yeah. Thank you. Eliza, great. Uh, Lynn, go ahead. Lynn P. This is Lynn P from sunny Southern California. And... Um, I love this chapter, of course, more about alcoholism. And, you know, one of the things that that Bill did not have, Bill and Bob didn't have in the 1930s, is the the advances of science. And, you know, today if you went on the Internet and you typed in brain on sugar, you would see that the, that the uh, addictive brain uh, on sugar is identical to the addictive brain in the alcoholic and in the gambler and the sex addict. In other words, the region of addiction is clearly identified uh, via technology in the PET scan. They didn't have that back in the 30s when they wrote this wonderful book. And, and I have to fully concede that I am different. My brain lights up like a pinball machine when I eat my addictive foods and the quantity that I eat. You know, I use food the same way an alcoholic uses alcohol, same way a heroin addict uses heroin, and that is that um, I use it to numb my feelings and to check out. And this is because I have a faulty way of dealing with my emotion. Um, whenever I have an emotion, the strange mental twist is go run and eat. And that's been my default. That's been my habit my entire life. And so, of course, you know, I've tried many a time in OA to prove that uh, I have lesser form of this disease, that somehow, some way, maybe I could start eating a little bit more or starting to eat some of my red light foods. And every single time I've tried that, I've been smacked down hard. The disease has taken over, and I'm back in relapse. And I'm a retread. I've been in OA for quite a long time, 18 years, and in that time, I've relapsed several times. And I'm so thankful today that I'm in recovery and, and I'm recovered. Um, I'll tell you one thing about this um, this chapter is I have to always remember the horror of what it's like to be deep in my disease. 
And I have to remind myself that because the disease wants me to forget. I mean, I've, I'm coming, you know, from over 400 pounds. I've lost, you know, 200. This is uh, my life today, you know, in recovery, working steps, making sure that I do not go back uh, and somehow delude myself that I could actually start eating my addictive foods again. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Lynn P. Stephanie, I did not get your last initial, and then John K. This is Stephanie N. Recovered in Kansas. Um, this is my favorite paragraph. I am so excited that we're reading this. I love the whole chapter, but this paragraph in particular, when my sponsor um, my sponsor introduced me to the big book, I had been in program for about seven months working the tools, and I didn't think the big book had anything to do with me. Um, and so when I started working with my sponsor and she gave me an assignment and the night that I um, was doing this, I was really busy. And so I thought, well, I'm going to listen to it because I don't have time to read it. Um, It was the night before uh, 4th of July and I was just so busy. And so I was sitting there uh, rocking my baby to sleep and listening to it. And it was just like, it finally clicked everything. I had had several assignments with her before that but it was just now clicking that, okay, I can't, I'm not like other people. I, I, you know, I've been pursuing this. I've been pursuing this and it is driving me to insanity. I felt completely hopeless and insane. And I, um, I just, that's when I identified in and then that's when everything changed because then I could be honest with myself that I am the real thing. I thought I was a little bit different that, oh, you know, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe I'm not that bad. Maybe I'm not a real uh, alcoholic or a real compulsive overeater. And then it finally clicked that I had to get honest with myself, and then that's when things started to change for me. I still listen to or read this chapter um, before I go to any social function, especially if my sister's going to be there, because growing up, I wanted to be able to do what my sister did. Uh, Growing up, I did not have a weight problem. Um, but she did, and then she was able to moderate and go her merry way, and um, and she's always, ever since then, has been able to moderate, and I just wanted so badly to be like her, and um, and so I do still listen to this, especially when I'm going to be around her at social functions, to remind myself, to get honest with myself. It really helps me to identify in, get honest with myself, and to say, you know what, this is this is the truth for me. This is not the truth for her. This is the truth for me. And that's okay. And I need that honesty every day to keep working the program and to stay recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Stephanie. And John K. followed by Lindsay B. Good morning. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> Good morning. I'm John Kiernan, who covered compulsive overeater in Los Angeles. Um, you know, like everybody else has said so far, this is my favorite chapter as well. Uh, I always uh, talk about that. I remember I, I, I was, I tell a story, I was telling, uh, I was helping a, a sponsee one day and I was, I was using, I was paraphrasing these first couple of uh, paragraphs. And I said, well, you know, in the big book, it essentially says, you know, it's the great desire of every compulsive eater to someday eat like a normal person. And uh, he laughed and he goes, no, John, we don't want to eat like normal people. We want to eat the way we want to eat and have none of the bad ramifications. And I thought, my God, he's absolutely right. I never, I mean, I've been to parties or I've, I've gone out to dinner with normal people and they'll order a piece of cake and it'll come over and they'll take one bite and go, oh, it's too rich and push the plate away. And, and I'm like, my eyes are wide. Are you nuts? But that's the thing. A normal person doesn't have what we have. And I, oh, I need to remember this daily uh, that I, when it comes to at least the food and in a lot of other things in life, uh, I am insane. Um, and and in, I had to find a definition of insanity that worked for me with this. And my favorite, and I've quoted this a lot, is that somebody, uh, there's a definition that says insanity is a state of mind that prevents normal perception. And that is the key. Uh, I did not have normal perception around the food, either the food when I was in it or remembering how it was, you know, after I'd done it. And, you know, like it said, it, it has to be smashed. And it had to be smashed when I first came in because it was definitely one of those things uh, I didn't get 
you know, um, you know, and I needed to have somebody say, hey, you've had your whole life. You've been trying to control this thing your whole life. It hasn't worked. Hey, surrender. That's the key. And the thing about um, the illusion being uh, smashed is that it, it, it is more of a refined illusion the longer you're in program. The more your disease is whispering in the ear to take back what was initially perfect surrender and start to negotiate, especially with specific foods and things. And, and I know today I just can't do that. And I go to a Sunday morning meeting. It's one of my favorite meetings and uh, uh, crack a dawn meeting. And they start off reading this, this more about alcoholism. And it ends with the 10 step promises. And to me, there it is. The problem at the beginning a solution at the end because the ten step promises are, are, are a little different than the nine step promises. Nine step promises are about how we're going to go through life and dealing with you know as, as recovered people. Ten step promises really have to do with the substance itself. We cease fighting anyone and anything and and all of this will have a whole new attitude. You know, it will be in a position of neutrality. Uh, and that's what we can have. We have to have it only if we're in a fit spiritual condition. And that's what I need to keep doing. This is, it's called working the steps for a reason. And, and I'll uh, just end with just saying, I, the line I heard a lady say long ago, and I repeat often, is that I'm not a slow learner. I'm a quick forgetter. And that's why I keep coming. That's why I keep being a part of this group, because I need to keep remembering. It doesn't matter how many, many years I've been in program, uh, my disease is continually trying to find the right thing to say so I will stop wanting to surrender. And with that, I pass. Thank you, John K. Lindsay B. followed by Lynette P. Good morning. This is Lindsay, recovered from New Hampshire. Um, I'm so delighted that we're reading this this morning. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is a great obsession of every abnormal drinker. Um, I, I, you know, in and out of the rooms for, you know, over 30 years, and... Um, you know, each time I would come back, I would be ready to accept a little bit more. And it wasn't until I could accept, you know, the whole the whole kit and caboodle and take step one 100% that I could, could get recovery. And for me, it had to get to the point where, um, you know, the pain of, of living with the food was greater than going without it. And for me, I, I just couldn't possibly imagine that, um, you know, my life... Um, you know that I could live happily without without these substances, um, but they were clearly killing me. And I'm also one of those people in a very normal sized body. And most people in my circles here have never seen me significantly overweight or overweight at all. And uh, you know, still people just don't get it. And it was almost like I was waiting for there to be some headline that said people have found out that people that food addiction is real and it's treatable. And you know, it's you know, you just have to take your medicine. Somehow I wanted the whole world to get it before I could accept it. And now I have accepted it. And I, I want to say something to those people that are, are are on the fence, you know, can't live with the food, can't live without it. And um, I've heard many people, you know, talk about the normal eater who can have a, you know, a piece of cake and eat a bite and all that. And, um, you know, for me, putting down my binge foods, my foods that, that nourish my body and my soul, I've never tasted more delicious. And I feel like I'm the one lucking out. These people that can push away a, a piece of cake and say it's too sweet have no idea what an apple tastes like, you know, when you're, you know, when you're not eating all that other stuff or, you know, freshly cooked vegetables that I used to, I couldn't stand vegetables. So I feel like I am so lucky. I have the best of both worlds. I love my food. It's nourishing, but I don't binge on it. I eat it. It's done. Food is neutral. Food is quiet. You know, I I didn't want to give up my sexy foods, but if I put a food in my mouth and there's a party going on in my mouth, then, then I let it go, but I let it go with pleasure now. There's not this resistance and the disease is so very, very progressive. And this last time around, I really had to, I was holding on to a certain foods. You know, there were the two biggies or the three biggies that were, were so black and white to me. But there's other foods. And I was holding on to them. And now that they're, you know, I couldn't give them up, by the way. I haven't been able to give up anything. I couldn't give up flour and sugar. Are you kidding me? God removed the desire. 
And you have to remember that for those of you that are trying, 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 maybe stop trying. Just let God remove it for you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lindsay B. Lynette P. followed by Eliza B. Thank you. Good morning. This is Lynette P. Recovered in Southern California. Um, as we were reading this this morning, it, it, uh, I started to appreciate more than just the structure of this book that we started with the doctor's opinion, and that was so helpful for me to read with my step guide and then going into Bill's story. And there is a solution. But before we go further into the solution, <laughs> um, we have more about alcoholism. I think that is that really helped me and continues to help me to help me um, identify in and to show me and where I can really admit, yeah, I am like an alcoholic. I identify with everything now, and I've been in, in the rooms for probably 40 years in, uh, in this program and sister programs. And, um, uh, and, and just the language uh, that has helped me. Um, one thing, a couple things that um, strike me in here when I, I remember reading this, the persistence of the illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Well, what I learned is that the death is not just physical. Although I've had friends and acquaintances in the last four years, about four people have died and um, the physical death. But what I've learned is it can be an emotional death, and that I can identify with, too, is that in the grips of um, compulsively eating and not being able to stop with the obsession and the allergy in full bloom, um, I felt like I had an emotional death and was sometimes hoping to die, either really live or really die. Um, the walking death <laughs> is... Um, it's very uh, demoralizing and debilitating um, until I made that decision, you know, and, and the real decision to then work the program. And that's been quite a while now. Um, and then the delusion, you know, the delusion that we are like other people. Um, and I can just think back at on different times. And even after years in the program, uh, you know, coming either relapsing or, or just kind of messing around with the food, not being real, real serious because I needed to suffer more. <laughs> And because I did experience that delusion that uh, I can be, that I wanted to be like other people, that delusion can come back. And I know that now that can come back if I don't maintain that fit um, spiritual condition and if I don't work the program daily. And um, that's something that I need to remember. And I think that's one of the uh, great reasons for going on to the meeting daily. Thanks for letting me share. And I pass. Thank you, Lynette P. Eliza B., you're next. Thank you. Hi, this is Eliza B. I know my name is a little hard to pronounce in northern New Jersey. I want to say hello from northern New Jersey and hope I'm going to see all of you at the convention in September. Um, I've never been able to share live because I'm usually not on at this hour. But can, So can you tell me how many minutes do I have? Is it two minutes? Three minutes. Three minutes. Great. I'm setting my timer now. So Eliza B. from Northern New Jersey, thank you so much. I, too, am so excited about more about alcoholism I had to share this really is the chapter that saved my life. And I've been in program about 12 years, and um, I was also one of those people. I call myself someone who was probably, I, I became abstinent right away, lost 100 pounds right away, but never went through the big book, followed it like a textbook, followed the steps like I should have. And I think I really maintained most of my weight loss um, white knuckling it for almost 10 or 11 years and using the tools like a lot of us talk about on this line. And it wasn't until my disease really caught up with me through gradually, gradually starting to just overeat a little bit of my abstinent foods and just slipping and sliding until gradually I had a full force binge uh, last year about this time that started. And it was so horrendous and so horrible I just remember being on my knees and crying out to God. And I heard God saying to me, even through all the ruckus, I heard God saying to me, it's okay, Eliza. You're going to get through this. I'm going to help you. And it was this chapter when I got back to found vision and found a vision sponsor. It was this chapter that brought me back to opening me up again to the sanity. And I just, I just can't enunciate a much, enough how much I love the strong, strong language in these first two chapters. I mean, 
Bill Wilson doesn't doesn't hold anything back. He uses the words um, obsession, illusion, insanity, or death. And I had to say to myself every morning when I was trying to get my recovery back, I said to myself every morning, I have to fully concede to my innermost self that I'm a compulsive overeater. And as you know, some of us like to throw in a little Yiddish here and there. I had to say in my kishkas, everywhere in my heart, in my head, in my blood, in my veins, I had to say to myself, I am a compulsive overeater. There can be no doubt that I'm a compulsive overeater and that I cannot eat like a normal person. And I have to say that for 10, 11 years in program, I still always had a lingering doubt in my head that one day I'd be able to have a slice of pizza. Maybe I could just commit to one slice. Or I was the type that before I went to OA, I never did any crazy radical diets. I was the type that did all those sort of like regular diets that were supposed to teach you how to become a normal eater and a healthy eater. And I used to remember standing and praying to God, please let this normal diet work that's going to teach me normal three meals a day and a snack, but let me have a brownie once in a while. That's what I really wanted. And even when I first came into OA, I remember saying to myself, my timer just went off, I'm just going to finish, just saying to myself, please, let me just learn how to be an eater like that. And it was until I read this chapter and repeated these things over and over to myself and realized that I can never, ever regain control, ever, ever, that this is who I am. And it's not even a curse. It's a blessing who I am. It wasn't until I realized all that I could, that I could really let go and recover. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. And sorry, I... Uh butchered your name there. This is uh, Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. I'm going to sneak in before we open it up. You know, I was unwilling to admit that I was that real compulsive overeater. You know, I kept on saying, oh, there's got to be the next fix, the next diet, the next hypnosis, the next shot, the next legal, illegal drug, the next, uh, you know, diet that you see at the when you're ready to buy your binge foods and it's right there at the counter and lose 20 pounds in one day, those kind of things. Because I knew if I just found the right thing, my life would be okay. And, you know, I've been in OA since 81, and in the rooms I was still trying to find something. You know, I did the diet with group support until that didn't work. And then blah, 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 same thing. But it's like when I had... um the last relapse I had in um, 2014, that almost killed me. And here I've been in the rooms forever. And right before, thank God, um, somebody from program reached out and said, Julie, what has always worked for you? That night before, I thought, you know what? Maybe I should just stop going to OA stop going to meetings, stop going to big book meetings, stop doing this, and just see what happens. Now, mind you, that was 2014 in October. Been in OA since 81, and I had that thought. This disease is just so powerful. So, it, you know, the, the end of that paragraph, many pursue it into the gates of insanity or of death. In that seven-month relapse, I gained 70 pounds of my 150 in four months. That's what this disease did to me. I am not a garden-variety compulsive overeater. I am the real alcoholic with food. I, um, I'm an animal. I, I turn into this vicious thing. And even when I'm um, abstinent but not recovered, I am, I'm not a great person. So... The delusion that I am like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed. And, you know, fast forward to today, I am recovered and have been recovered since the day I came back and started working the program and living my life. I don't want to eat my alcoholic foods. I am free. I am able to work on life problems via the the steps and having had a spiritual awakening experience, I don't think act or behave like I used to. I'm at a normal body weight. But today, my mind, I have sanity only for today. And that's only as a result of working these steps in and 
out of every moment of my life. And with that, I'll pass. Who else would like to share? Jeannie S. Jeannie O. S. S. Okay. Christina and who else? J. Christina, Christina J. J. Gotcha. Penny L. C. Sherry K. B. Penny L. C. Suji. Sherry K. B. I got you, Sherry. Sherry K. B. Let's um, stop there and see where we go. Uh, Jenny S. Hi, this is Jeannie S. This is like a dream of Jeannie, Jeannie S. in uh, New York. Um, Thank you. I really relate to so much of this paragraph. It just brings up a lot for me. And one of the things that sort of just jumped out at me today, I think somebody said something that kind of spurred the thought, was, you know, I've read so many times, many pursued into the gates of insanity or death. Okay, death I get. You know, like, if I'm eating compulsively, like, it doesn't seem like it's going to lead me to the gates of death. But insanity? And I think that when when a person engages in continual self-harm, that is a road to insanity. And it really rains down so much destruction upon a person and I feel like that's been my experience uh, with compulsive overeating. I also feel like when I'm reading this, you know, I used to live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I'm, thank God, successful for decades in another 12-step program. And I do have to say that one of the things that, that I think has helped me, I've had stretches of abstinence, sometimes seven years, I had at one point where the compulsion to eat compulsively was removed from me, but but I feel like um, I feel like I just forgot what I was going to say. Just tired today, but where I got where I where I used to live, I mean, there was a guy in Alcoholics Anonymous who lost his legs because he got drunk and fell asleep in a snowstorm. and he kept drinking. You know, like we could know all this, and that's why I always. You know, it says the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. You know, I can I can know that I'm a compulsive overeater, but I have to want to not be one. And that's the tricky part. And I think that getting abstinent is different than staying abstinent. And I, I because you can get very complacent over the long haul and, and, so anyway, I just, it's interesting, like I just, as I'm reading this, thoughts have come into my mind, and I remember at one point I had gone to a treatment, inpatient treatment many years ago, and it wasn't a very, very good place, but one thing I learned from it that was really helpful, they told me, you know, when you're traveling, if you have, it's often a trigger, so you can go to the nearest public address system and ask for friends of Bill W. to to meet you, and I did it. I was in Penn Station in New York, walking by the vending machines, trying not to eat sugar. And I went to the I went to the to the counter, and they they announced, you know, friends of Bill W. come to the counter. And this guy walks up eating a candy bar, who was in AA. And I explained that I was trying not to eat food. I, you know, sugar. I felt a little embarrassed, but and his train left next to mine an hour later. And I think that I think that what I learned from reading all of this is that I need to keep working on and asking my higher power to help me be honest with myself, take the steps necessary and, and be on guard. And the last thing I'll say is that this is going to sound really crazy, but on a certain level, I have to say that my struggle with food addiction has kept me successful in another program for decades because if, because it, if if I didn't have that, I might sort of think maybe I could get away with it, you know, like maybe, okay, I'm fine now, but it's so clear that I'm not fine, which doesn't make it, <laughs> doesn't necessarily make a person abstinent because like you could be like the guy who lost his legs, but, you know, a bottom, they say, is when you stop digging, but, but it's so clear that I'm so not fine that it kept me in the, in the, I don't know how to say it, in the game, really, in terms of recovery. And I'm very grateful for that. And thank you. I pass. Thank you, Genius. I'd like to remind everyone to um, stay muted so we have a quiet line. So Christina J is next, followed by Penny Elsie. 
Hi, this is Christina J. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for your service, and thanks, everyone. I mean, I'm relating to everything, and this is a powerful chapter. Um, just when I think I'm starting to get it, he slams us home with another chapter. Hey, you know, I, I think you need to know more about this because your mind's going to start playing tricks on you. Indeed. Um, I've read through this several times and came into vision in 2000, early 2014, and my mind uh, played tricks with me. This chapter takes me back to when I was a kid, a young girl, and I had made a, a wonderful cake for this little party I was going to. And and I got it home, and I, oh, God, I wanted to eat the whole thing, and I didn't understand that. I, I didn't know for years I was a compulsive reader. I probably didn't know for 40 years. So uh, I was in and out of diets. Uh, I'd heard about OA, but didn't even know what it was about, had no idea what it was about. The OA meetings I went to were all about, hey, I lost this weight, and, uh, you know, this week I did this, and it was all emotional talk and and relapsing and regaining and losing weight, and I just I ran away from it because I had a feeling it had to do with the mind. And I was on the hunt for uh, what one of the earlier people spoke about, um, something wrong with my brain chemistry, you know. If I could get that right, then, then I could get this right. I had no idea that I was eating over uh, emotions. And when I was wanting to eat that cake, I didn't have a normal life at home. No one ever communicated or talked about feelings. Um, and so I was a kid that had it all in. I was isolated, and I was going to be strong for the world, and nobody was going to see that I was hungry for attention and love. And so food became my friend. Um, when I was facing a major surgery in my 30s, um, I had been on this diet, and I was being so good, and I had it all under control. And this major surgery, because I didn't have anybody to talk to, nor would I open up to anybody, I went down to the candy machine, and I bought everything I could. And I, it just freaked me out. Um, so I had no idea for years. Uh, and then when I got in program, I still didn't know the full gamut of the game, of the truth, of what I needed to do. And I got back on healthy foods, and I had my little moderate three meals a day with maybe a snack, and it was all healthy stuff, and I was exercising, and I had it under control, man. But I wasn't working 10, 11. 12, I was working 12, but not 10, 11. I wasn't enlarging my spiritual life, the thing that was going to hold me from wanting the food. And so I started to get into extra healthy foods, and I rationalized it away. And, uh, of course, eventually that led to um, the full-on binging in sugar. And it took me down into the horrific place that I didn't want to be anymore. And, you know, I have a built-in forgetter. And if I do not keep my spiritual life enlarged, this is my new routine in life, not food. This is what I must work every day to keep sane, to keep healthy, to keep my mind from wanting to use what it used since I was a kid. I have people to talk to now. I have a program of people who understand every word I'm saying. And I must fully concede that I cannot eat extra bananas or whatever it is when I'm irritable, restless, and discontent. And, and and the only thing that's going to keep me from going over the edge into that place is if I'm working a daily spiritual program of action, which what a gift. Oh, my God, what a gift for us, this book. So thank you for letting me share. And I do want to say quickly that I really welcome calls from anyone. I love to talk about recovery, and it helps me. So you can find me on the Vision site. God bless to all. I pass. Thank you, Christina J. Again, I'd like to remind everyone to um, star one to mute. There's uh, somebody unmuted. Penny Elsie, you're next, followed by Sherry KB. Thank you very much, Julie, and thank you to everyone doing service today. This is Penny Elsie, a greatly recovered, grateful, <laughs> recovered compulsive overeater from the state of Washington. And I wanted to um, comment on you know, the choice of words in these paragraphs, um, when you look, well, looking up the, the definition for illusion, something that looks or seems different from what it is, something that is false or not real. And I could do that with my disease so easily. And, um, and then a delusion a belief that is held with strong conviction despite superior evidence to the contrary. As a pathology, it is distinct from a belief based on false or incomplete information. 
know, I didn't want to see the truth. I wanted to live in the lie that um, I could continue to try to find a way to control my eating. I wanted to, um, to not have to concede to myself that I really was this bottom line addict. I'd grown up with addicts in my family and I did not want to be in that category. And yet the truth was there. And um, and I was believing the lie, and I didn't want to look at it, and so I lived in that delusion and that illusion until I couldn't any longer, until my disease compromised my quality of life to the point where it wasn't worth continuing to live on that basis. And it took that getting to critical level of this disease for me to finally be willing to let go of my self-centeredness, my my willfulness, and finally surrender to my higher power who was there for me all the time. And when it talks about, we learned we had to concede to our uh had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. You know, that struck me today as a phrase, so what is my innermost self? You know, is that not my spirit, my higher power spirit that lives within me? And I really needed to go to that higher power within me and speak the truth and admit the truth and be willing to let go of the lie. And that began the road to the freedom that I have today, and I'm so grateful. Thanks for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Penny, Elsie. Sherry KB, you're next. Good morning, Julie. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, grateful recovered compulsive reader. Yay, thanks for your service, Julie. Um, wow. Um, where do I start? It's interesting. Someone had just, uh, I think it was uh, Penny, just talked about definitions. And I have a little bit of different definitions on illusion. It says incorrect, untrue belief or view of reality. And then delusion is false psychotic belief, unsound, misleading reasoning. So definitely um, unreasoning for me um, to believe that, that I could enjoy and, and control and enjoy my eating um, countless vain attempts, um, abnormal eating uh, is my great obsession, had been. Um, I wanted to look like you and eat the way I wanted to. That's what I really believed I could do. Once I got off all the weight I wanted, then I could start eating the way I really wanted to. And, you know, I thought that was normal. I really did. Um, and I love this chapter because this is all about identifying in with the mental twist and the mental obsession. And this is on step one. This is all about step one to me. And I know that I have, you know, when it said into the the gates of insanity or death, it, for me it was death of self. Um, there, there are decades that I've spent. I remember my husband saying, remember when we did this and we did that? And you know what? I don't remember because I was face down in the food in a blackout. And, you know, when I first heard people talking about blackouts and food, I thought they were talking about alcoholism. And, you know, I didn't get that I had been in blackouts for decades with food emotionally, because I used to call myself I was an emotional eater. And I didn't have the ramifications of a lot of people physically, but I definitely can see it mentally. Um, and this is what we're talking about here is the mental obsession. And that's the great obsession that my my disease tells me I don't have a disease. I'm not as bad as you. Um, and so I need to identify and I need to stay in this book. Um, I, love, I love what we're reading here. Um, and I just, I, I just have to keep on identifying in because my disease will constantly, now that I'm recovered and, you know, my, my disease will say, well, we've got this thing. We don't need this anymore. We can go off and go do this by, our, by ourselves. Thank you very much. And, you know, I have to stay in this book. I have to identify in constantly um, and stay working the steps and being of service to others. 
that's what's going to keep my disease out the door and not with me because my disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry KB. Um, and Sue G, we probably have about one minute if you want to do a quick share. Sure. Uh, thanks a lot. This is Sue G from Michigan, recovered by the grace of God. I always felt that my eating is because of somebody else, something else, not because of anything I was doing, certainly not. And I had the illusion that that if things would just change, then I could have some of the food that I could have. I I like what the comment said that you know that the um, to concede for innermost self being our higher power. I think that's the one thing that I have had trouble with in the past is conceding to God that I do have this disease and it's not going to go away. And the only way that I can stop it from getting worse is not to pick up. And... Um, it's good to be it's good to be on speaking. I haven't been on for a while. Um, but I really appreciate the fact that we're in more about alcoholism with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Suji. It is now time to close our meeting. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page one sixty four, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And will Rossi G. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, good morning, Rossi G., Houston, Texas, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.